Today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Stop acting like kids, thinking that spiritual gifts makes you impressive, thinking that spiritual gifts makes you feel close to God. No, you think like mature gospel people who know that their identity is in Christ and their gifts are only for service, not for show. And what makes me close to Jesus is the blood of Christ, not a tingly feeling that I get in my chest every once in a while. Welcome back to Summit Life with Pastor J.D. Greer of the Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. As always, I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. Okay, consider this. In order for the church to be a place where people do more than just sing along and worship and listen to teaching, that they actually experience God's presence, we have to expect that God is going to use us to speak into the lives of others. Today, Pastor J.D. helps us understand how to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit might be putting on our hearts to bless and encourage other people. We know you don't want to miss a single message here on the program, so if you're a little behind on any of this teaching in 1 Corinthians, you can always catch up at jdcreer.com. But for now, grab your Bible and let's join Pastor J.D. as he continues our study with a message he titled, The Rowdy Chapter. Never, ever, 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 ever claim the authority of God when you speak. What you are saying is fallible and other people need to discern if it is from God. I never, ever say to somebody, this is what God says, unless I've got a chapter and verse to back it up. Instead, I will say something like, listen, I think God has put this on my heart for you. And I think he might be saying this, but you gotta weigh this out. The other problem with putting divine weight behind your words is it puts the other person in a terribly awkward position. You ever been there? If you claim that God has told you something for me and you're sure, the other person's either gotta submit to your words or call you a false prophet. Paul sets up this whole system so that we speak with humility. Bottom line, even if you really feel strongly that what you're saying is from the the Holy Spirit, speak it with humility and a little uncertainty. That's how God tells you to do it. It's why he gives others the gift of discernment. You're not giving the word of God. The apostles wrote things down and we studied them 2000 years later. You write what down you think God is saying in an email, we skim it, delete it and move on, okay? Now, one more word here before we move on to the next, the tongues today. Um, affirmation, or affirmation, expectation, humility, affirmation. Let's affirm somebody when God uses them in our lives. They may not even have known that they were speaking prophetically. Two or three of the times that God spoke to me most clearly, I'm pretty sure that the person who spoke to me didn't know that they were speaking that way. They thought they were just giving counsel or a word of encouragement, but time showed that what they were saying was from the Holy Spirit. So let's affirm this in there. Even as we pray together, we can affirm it. When somebody is praying and what they're saying is resonating with you, you need to say things like, yes, Lord. And I agree and I received that Lord, okay? You're like, but I feel like a Pentecostal, good. You say, well, I feel weird doing that. I grew up Baptist or I grew up Catholic. So I just say those things in my heart and I know God can hear me. Yes, God can hear your heart, okay? But the other person can't. And God doesn't need any encouragement. He's got all the encouragement that he needs. It's the other person who needs that encouragement. So expectation, humility, affirmation. I can say a lot more on this, but let's just keep moving. Verse five, now I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Now, all Paul is saying here in context, all he's saying here is, I'd love for all of you to experience everything. I'm not saying you will. I'm not saying you should. 
I'm just, yes, I'm for more intimacy with this, more intimacy with and more gifting by the spirit. Of course, he's already told us that not everybody has every gift. He's saying, I wish you had them all, but if you are going to seek a gift, seek prophecy. Because the one who prophesies, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless somebody interprets so that the church might be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? The, whole, the sole purpose of the gifts was to build the church up. Does speaking in an unknown tongue build anybody up? It may make you feel warm and fuzzy, but it does nothing for anybody else. In verses seven through 11, Paul's gonna give you three great illustrations of this. Illustration number one is music. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp or the keyboard, if they do not give distinct notes, how will anybody even know what is played? Now, it's been a long time. Random blasts don't make for good music, which is probably what you're about to hear, okay? I am not a musician, not a musician, but I remember my elementary school teacher explaining that, that sounds needed three things to be considered music. Rhythm, harmony, and, uh, and melody. Only then was it what they called syncopated, so. Yeah. There's our faithful cymbal player, okay? That's music, that's noise. And Paul is saying, hey, this is what a church service is supposed to be, and you people speaking in tongues are doing that right there. It's just chaos. Illustration number two is battle, battle cries. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Random noises in the battlefield don't help the army. I mean, you're in battle and you hear a trumpet. You don't know if that means go forward or go backwards. It's chaos. In the same way, random tongues in the church don't help the church advance. If you don't know what God is saying, how do you know what he wants you to do? Verse nine, so with yourselves, he says, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how's anybody gonna know what's being said? You'll be speaking into the air. Verse 10, analogy three, human languages. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'm gonna be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. You know, if I stand up here and during a message, I say, Tuhan kita luar biasa. And saya sakarang saki gasquat. You do not know how to respond, right? By the way, the first phrase was in Indonesian, our God is awesome. That deserves an amen. The second was, I have really bad gas pain. That deserves not an amen, but an oh my, right? <laughs> Tongues don't benefit others if they don't understand what's being said. They don't know how to respond. Verse 12, so also with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Simple, seek gifts that build up the body. That's what love would do. It seeks gifts for service, not for show. It's seeking gifts to bless and not boast. Therefore, he says, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Paul is saying, even for the one who's speaking in the tongue, it's better for them if they know what they're saying. Otherwise, it's just giving you a tingly feeling and not building up your mind. So as for me, Paul says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also at the same time. In other words, I'm not just gonna pray in tongues. I'm gonna pray with my mind. I don't wanna just 
feel close to God. I wanna be reminded of the truths that make me close to God. Verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. All Paul is saying there is for the record, I got you all beat. When I'm not writing the Bible, I'm taking trips up to the third heaven, shaking cobras off my arm and bringing people back from the dead with my hanky. So I got all of you Corinthians beat. Nevertheless, he says in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. 10,000, by the way, is the highest number you could count to in Greek. At least that they gave you a number for. So to invoke 10,000 was like saying infinity. Paul's saying, I'd rather speak five words that you understand than a gazillion words in a tongue you can't understand. Let me translate that for you. Paul says, you're not gonna hear me speaking in tongues in church because it doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't really even do me any good. I'd rather speak five simple words we both understand, Jesus in my place, amen, than 10,000 words you don't understand that would just make you think that I'm super spiritual. Brothers, brothers and sisters, don't be children in your thinking. Be mature. Stop acting like kids, thinking that spiritual gifts makes you impressive, thinking that spiritual gifts makes you feel close to God. No, you think like mature gospel people who know that their identity is in Christ and their gifts are only for service, not for show. And what makes me close to Jesus is the blood of Christ, not a tingly feeling that I get in my chest every once in a while. Now, verses 21 and 22, this is really, really important. This is, the, this is where so many people go off the rails. Paul is about to show you, watch this, the reason God gave tongues. Understanding this one thing will show you why so many of those who claim to speak in tongues probably aren't. I'm not saying definitively aren't, but probably aren't in the New Testament sense. Verse 21, in the law, Isaiah 28 to be exact, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So Paul, after he quotes that says, thus, because of what I just said, because of what Isaiah said, tongues are a sign. Sign means they're communicating something. Watch this, a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Who was the sign for? Unbelievers. They were not a sign for you or for other believers in church. They were a sign for unbelievers. More importantly, what kind of unbelievers are they a sign for? Well, when I say it says this people, he means the Jews. Verse 21, by people of strange tongues, I will speak to this people, the Jews. Tongues were a sign to unbelieving Jews that the gospel was not just for them, it was for all the languages of the world. You see, the Jews had a really hard time with that. Even though God had told Abraham, that was his goal from the beginning. They thought that God should only be worshiped in the Hebrew tongue. Even the apostles had trouble with this. So when the gospel first starts going out to the Gentiles, God, according to Isaiah, and now Paul, gave a miraculous sign to unbelieving Jews that this work, getting the gospel to the Gentiles, was actually from him. That was the purpose of the sign. And technically, they were a sign of judgment on Israel. They declared, you Jews would not listen to the gospel, so God is taking the gospel to the Gentiles who will listen. So when somebody tells me that their private prayer time is filled with speaking in tongues, I always wanna ask, how many unbelieving Jews are present in your private prayer time? How many are seeing the sign? That's the purpose of the sign. It's not for you to feel close to God. You get the gospel for that. 
is for God to signify something to unbelieving Jews. I'd humbly ask the same thing in worship services where speaking in tongues is common. How many unbelieving Jews, how many unbelieving Jews are attending these services? If the sign, according to Paul, is primarily for unbelieving Jews, what's the purpose of you doing it privately? Thanks for starting your week with us here on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. We'll get back to today's teaching in a moment, but I'm excited to tell you about a brand new premium resource we're offering starting today, and it's called the Gospel Flipbook. This is unlike anything we've ever offered for our listeners. One of the things that we're most passionate about here on Summit Life is helping you marinate in the Bible to really understand it, personalize it, and then apply it to your life. This spiral-bound resource will walk you through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It includes a gospel reading plan, information about the authors, the key passages in each book, important memory verses, and some guided prayer and reflection. What better place to learn from Jesus himself than by meditating on his actual words? All of this is designed to help you saturate your life in the message of the gospel. It's yours when you support this ministry with your generous gift today. So give us a call at 866-335-5220 or visit jdgreer.com. Also to be completely transparent, I'm not sure I buy the whole um, praying in the tongue of an angel thing. Every time Paul mentions that phrase, I pray in the tongue of an angel, it's hypothetical. If I were to speak in the tongue of angels, Remember, the Corinthians are super proud about their spiritual gifts, so Paul is exaggerating to insane proportion. He's like, y'all, look, even if I prayed in the language of angels and didn't have love, I'd still be nothing. I I say that because Paul never identifies angel tongue in his list of spiritual gifts. And there's no case anywhere in the Bible where somebody actually speaks angel. In fact, every instance in the Bible where angels do show up, they speak our language. Remember when the angel appears to Mary, the mother of Jesus? You know, angel shows up. The angel's not like, hooga beluga. Yeah, and then Mary translates it. The angel just says, Mary, you're gonna have a baby. And Mary understands him. So I don't think that's a real thing that we're supposed to practice. Now, having said that, I cannot say from scripture definitively that God never speaks through you that way. So I will stop where the scriptures stop. And I will not clarify what God did not clarify. The Bible tells me, verse 39, not to forbid to speak in tongues. So I won't. What I can say definitively based on these verses is that the primary purpose of tongues is as a sign to unbelieving Jews and that you should not seek gifts for the purpose of making you feel close to God. If so, then you are are, are theologically an infant because the gospel is the mature thing that should make you feel close to God. Instead, you should seek the gifts, Paul says, to build others up. So if you wanna seek a gift, he says, don't seek tongues to make you feel close to God, seek prophecy to build other people up. Furthermore, verse 23 if therefore the whole church comes together and all very speaking in tongues, outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you people are out of your minds? You go into a place, they're all speaking in tongues, people yelling out and you get nervous. You think, what's wrong with these people? Oh, we're just drunk on the spirit. To be honest, I feel nervous being around drunk people in any capacity. I hold my kids close and I get nervous. Paul says, people should not feel, have that feeling when they come into church. Verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters and all of a sudden he's being convicted by all and then they're speaking the truth to him and they're applying it to these secret places of his heart and he's held to account and all these secrets are disclosed. What does he do? How did you know? Nobody knows that about me. 
and he falls on his face and he worships God and declares, God, God, and God alone is in this place. That's the kind of place we wanna be, where God is alive and he is working in the church and people cannot deny the spirit-given insight we have into their lives and the power with which we speak. And I will tell you in a skeptical place like Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, this kind of experience has a power of persuasion that our apologetic arguments does not. And that's why Paul is telling us about it. What then, brothers? What then, brothers, when you come together, everybody should have a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation ready. Let all things be done for building up. If anybody speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or three and each in turn and let somebody interpret. But if there's nobody to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. One thing I wanna note there is that in those verses, listen to this, spirit experiences are not something where you get taken over and can't control yourself. People say, oh, I, I couldn't help myself. The spirit just took over. That is not true. Paul says you can control yourself. Paul expects these spiritual manifestations to be under your control. Verse 33, for our God, he said, is not a God of confusion, he's a God of peace. So then, verse 39, my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. There is a balance. You see it there in verses 39 and 40? Verse 39, freedom in the spirit. Verse 40, decency and in order. I think that we, Summit Church, have the whole decency and in order thing down pat. We got our orders of worship down to the minute. We got countdown clocks. Even Paul would be impressed, I think. I think we could use a little more freedom in the spirit. We don't wanna lose verse 40. We wanna gain verse 39. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute, pastor. You're not gonna pull this on me. You skip some verses. You skip some verses. Yes, I did. Verses 33 through 35. Just when you thought this chapter could not possibly get any harder. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission like the law says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Okay, so let's pray. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Just kidding. Happy Women's History Month, okay? No. Oh my goodness. What, how do we interpret this? Okay. Paul is clearly not saying that women should never speak in church. How do I know that? Well, for one thing, in chapter 11, Paul gives instructions for how women are to speak in church, how to pray and prophesy in church. Remember that? He said women were to pray or prophesy, and when they do, they should do it with their heads covered, which in their day just communicated that they weren't elders or they were not in authority. Paul is not gonna give that instruction and then turn around two chapters later and say they should not speak at all, right? The biblical rule of interpretation is that you interpret hard passages by easy ones. So clearly this can't mean that women don't speak in church because Paul has just given instructions for how they should speak. So what does it mean? Well, you can see from this chapter, there was a particular problem that Paul was addressing. There were different groups in Corinth who were interrupting each other in church and it was chaos. Some were crying out in tongues in the middle of church. Some were interrupting everybody else who was speaking with a word from God. Others were disputing, saying, no, 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 that's not from God. And then giving their own word from God. The whole thing was like a big dumpster fire. So Paul tells three different groups in this chapter to be quiet. Verse 28, he's like, don't just yell out in the tongue if there's no interpreter. Verse 30, don't interrupt somebody who's given a prophecy with a better one that you think that you have. 
And now to the women at Corinth, he says, verse 33, don't be disputing prophecies given by others, evaluating whether they're from God, because that's something reserved for the office of elder. That's why in verse 35, Paul tells the women if they have questions to ask their husbands at home. The word for ask there in verse 35 is the word interrogate. It's more than just asking for clarification. It means dispute, critique. These women are not leaning over during the, the, the service saying, what, what chapter, what chapter are we in again? They're inter- interrogating prophecy, they're disputing it. They're trying to weigh in on whether a particular prophecy was really from God and had authority. Well, see, that's the function of an elder. And the apostles taught that a woman should not serve in that role. We saw that back in 1 Corinthians 11. Furthermore, in verse 34, the word that Paul uses for be silent, let the women be silent in the churches, does not mean primarily stop talking. The majority of the times it's used in the New Testament, it means hold your peace. That is, he's urging these, these, these women to have a submissive spirit and not presume the role of an elder. But what Paul says here, y'all, is remarkably consistent with what he says everywhere else. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, speak, woman, but not without a head covering. In other words, not without a show of submission. In 1 Timothy 2 and 3, he tells women to speak and to teach, but not as an elder. Here, he says, speak, woman, but not in a way that puts you in the position of interrogating or weighing prophecy like you were an elder. Y'all, that is really consistent if you ask me. So see, Summit, as we set women up here to use their spiritual gifts, we are going to, as best we can, by God's grace, we're gonna respect the order that God established in his church. Since God's church is a reflection of his image. But for Paul, it is clear that women play a crucial part of Christ's body. Women have all the same spiritual gifts that men do. Their insight is invaluable and the church needs to hear from them and our body the Summit Church is much worse off without their leadership. So let's end where we started. We wanna have a church where people do more than sing along and worship and listen to teaching and take notes. We want you to experience the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I want people coming in and having that 1 Corinthians 14, 24 experience where the secrets of their heart are revealed. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want? If so, we gotta change our mentality. You have to change your mentality about going to church in small group. This kind of thing is not gonna happen only through me or a worship leader or two speaking from this stage. All of you have to be engaged. What then brothers, sisters, when you come together, everybody should come in. Everybody should come in with a hymn, a lesson and a revelation. Let all things be done for building up. You don't come in merely to sit and soak or sing along or take notes. Yes, do all of those things. When we come together for church or small group, let's each come in expectation that God's gonna use us to speak to others and sensitive to what the Spirit might be putting in our hearts. Amen? Have you been sensing the Holy Spirit calling you to do something, leading you to share the gospel or to disciple someone, to make a big change in your life for the good of His kingdom? Today's teaching was such a powerful reminder to listen and obey. If you missed any part of today's message, or if you want to share it with a friend, you can listen to this and any other Summit Life broadcasts free of charge at jdgreer.com. I hope you've been enjoying this study through 1 Corinthians as much as I have. The Apostle Paul drives home the gospel so clearly and so practically. And speaking of the gospel, what better way to grow deeper in your understanding of the gospel itself than by reading through the four gospels? 
That's why we're so excited to introduce our brand new featured resource called the Gospel Flipbook that I mentioned earlier. We really believe this will help you know and love the gospel message in a fresh new way. This flipbook is available to you as a token of our appreciation for your generous support of the ministry. So don't miss out on this opportunity to deepen your relationship with God and maybe even share this resource with a friend or a loved one. You can give us a call at 866-335-5220 to reserve your copy, which is yours with a generous gift of $35 or more. Or you can always give online at jdgreer.com. Before we close, let me remind you that if you aren't yet signed up for our email list, you'll want to do that today. It is the best way to stay up to date with Pastor JD's latest blog posts. And we'll also make sure that you never miss a new resource or series. It's quick and easy to sign up at jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vitovich, reminding you to tune in again Tuesday as Pastor JD begins a new teaching titled, Is Life Over For Me? Don't miss it right here on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.